Welcome to the Fort Lauderdale Primary Purpose Big Book Study Group's Thursday Night Alcoholics and God Speaker Step Series. Let's have our joke now. Hi, I'm Spencer, a recovered alcoholic. Hi, Spencer. And I got another one from Take Me to Your Sponsor, Best Jokes and Cartoons from AA Grapevine. This one's called Double Trouble. <laughs> A drunk, uh, a drunk stumbles up to the door, uh, up to the only other patron in a bar, and asks if he can buy him a drink. Why, of course, the guy replies. Drunk number one says, where are you from? Drunk number two replies, I'm from Ireland. Drunk number one, hey, I'm from Ireland too. Let's have a round for Ireland. Then, with a curious look, he asks, where in Ireland? Drunk number two replies, why, Dublin. Drunk number one, I can't believe it, me too, let's have a round for Dublin. Drunk number two, of course. Hey, what school did you go to? Drunk number one, St. Mary's, I graduated in 62. Then both drunks yell in unison, me too, this is unbelievable. About that time, one of the regulars strolls in and sits down at the bar. What's up, he asks the bartender. Oh, nothing much, replies the bartender. The O'Malley twins are drunk again. I'm a recovered alcoholic. My name is Rebecca. Thanks for joining us tonight. In a minute, we're going to start our two-minute meditation. So please take a moment to get situated. Please turn off all devices that make noises that might or will distract others. 
Take this time to get connected to God, let the craziness of the day drift away, and ask God to help you stay focused on the step study tonight. Is everybody ready? If so, let's start the meditation. do the fog light prayer. It's on both screens. God, let your love shine through me like a fog light so those who are lost, sick, and dying can find your love through me. There is a solution from the big book, page 17. The tremendous fact for every one of us is that we have discovered a common solution. We have a way out on which we can absolutely agree and upon which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action. This is the great news this book carries to those who suffer from alcoholism. I've asked Brian to read Appendix 2, Spiritual Experience. We read this because the main purpose of the 12 steps is to have one, so it is kind of important to know what one is. Hi everyone, Brian, alcoholic. Spiritual experience. The terms spiritual experience and spiritual awakening are used many times in this book, which upon careful reading shows that the personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism has manifested itself among us in many different forms. Yet it is true that our first printing gave many readers the impression that these personality changes or religious experiences must be in the nature of sudden and spectacular upheavals. Happily for everyone, this conclusion is erroneous. In the first few chapters, a number of sudden revolutionary changes are described. 
Though it was not our intention to create uh, such an impression, many alcoholics have nevertheless concluded that in order to recover, they must acquire an immediate and overwhelming God consciousness, followed at once by a vast change in feeling and outlook. Among our rapidly growing membership of thousands of alcoholics, such transformations, though frequent, are by no means the rule. Most of our experiences are what the psychologist William James calls the educational variety because they develop slowly over a period of time. Quite often, friends of the newcomer are aware of the difference long before he is himself. He finally realizes that he has undergone a profound alteration in his reaction to life, that such a change could hardly have been brought about by himself alone. What often takes place in a few months could seldom have been accomplished by years of self-discipline. With few exceptions, our members find that they have tapped an unsuspected inner resource which they presently identify with their own conception of a power greater than, than themselves. Most of us think this awareness of a power greater than ourselves is the essence of spiritual experience. Our more religious members call it God consciousness. Most emphatically, we wish to say that any alcoholic capable of honestly facing his problems in the light of our experience can recover, provided he does not close his mind to all spiritual concepts. He can only be defeated by an attitude of intolerance or belligerent denial. We find that no one need have difficulty with the spirituality of the program. Willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness are the essentials of recovery, but these are indispensable. There is a principle which is a bar against all information, which is proof against all arguments, and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. That principle is contempt prior to investigation. Herbert Spencer, Alcoholic Anonymous, pages 567-568. Please refrain from disturbing others by talking or constantly getting up and sitting back down. This is a tech-free meeting, so turn your phone or set your phones to airplane or meeting mode, or just turn it off. This week we have Tom M with session four. Let's introduce. Let's give him more. How's everybody tonight? My name is Tom, and I'm an alcoholic. So tonight we're going to look at step seven and eight. Huh? I don't know if I was so crazy about that in the beginning. <laughs> that was a great joke, you know. <laughs> that was so good, I don't even feel the need to, you know. Of course, I'm an Irishman, you know. So, you know. Anyway, uh, I, I had put something today uh, in my story which I really liked. And this is... Uh, St. Augustine said this. Humility is the foundation of all the other virtues. Hence in the soul in which this virtue does not exist, there cannot be any other virtue except in mere appearance. You know, and I, I never changed out of virtue. I'm not a virtuous person. I only changed out of pain. The pain of my alcoholism is what got me to change. That's the reason I got sober. I got sober because of the pain of my alcoholism. And I only attained any kind of serenity in this way of life through emotional turmoil, through going through that emotional turmoil. I, I think that it, uh, 
it behooves us, you know, to look at, like, where did this come from, this problem that I have? Way back in the third step, it starts to talk about me. It tells my story in the third step before we get to the third step. You know, after the ABCs, it starts talking about a character. That's the character that I brought here, this character. In trying to make these arrangements, you know, I mean, you know, each person is like an actor who wants to run the whole show. It's forever trying to arrange the lights, the ballet, the scenery, and the rest of the players in his own way. If his arrangements would only stay put, if only people would do as he wished, the show would be great. Everybody, including himself, would be pleased. Life would be wonderful. In trying to make these arrangements, our actors may, may sometimes be quite virtuous. You know, not real virtue, though. It wasn't real virtue in my case, okay? It was pretending to be virtuous. He may be kind, considerate, patient, generous, even modest and self-sacrificing. Why am I doing that? You know, I'm doing that to get my way. That's the only reason I'm doing that. I'm not doing that because that's part of my character. That's part of my hustle, you know. You see, I'm, I've, all my life I was a hustler, a con artist. You know, I was a user and an abuser of drugs and alcohol and people, places, and things. And so, you know, I used people. And I loved things, and I loved to get my own way. But on the other hand, he may may be mean, egotistical, selfish, and dishonest. That's more or less the way I was most of the time. Not too often was I kind and considerate, unless you had more power than me. And I had to be that way. You know, know, uh, what happens? The show doesn't come off very well. He begins to think life doesn't treat him right. He decides to exert himself more. He becomes, on the next occasion, still more demanding or gracious, as the case may be. Still, the play does not suit him. Admitting he may be somewhat at fault, he is sure that other people are more to blame. He becomes angry, indignant, self-pitying. What is his basic trouble? Is he not really a self-seeker, even when trying to be kind? Is he not a victim of the delusion? that he can wrest satisfaction and happiness out of this world if he only manages well. What, I, what, what am I? You know, I'm but down further on the page. It's self-centered and egocentric. I'm just like, you know, the outlaw safecracker thinks society's wronged him, the alcoholic who has lost all and is locked up. I'm full of protestations that they're talking about. Resentments, self-pity, fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, self-pity. My troubles are of my own making. Can't be rid of it without God's help. It's, it's telling me right here in the third step. I always thought, why well, the third step and the, and the seventh step are so close together. You know? and there, I carry a, a little card around that I've been carrying, I've been carrying this card around for years, you know, in my wallet. 
And they, they've been making this for years. And third step prayer on one side and the seventh step prayer on the other side. When I saw that years ago, I said, well, there's a connection there, isn't it? Well, I hope everybody's okay and nothing happened to anybody. Anyway, so when I get here to this seventh step, you know, I've, I've, I've swallowed some big truths about myself by the time I get here, you know. One of the biggest things I've had to swallow is that I'm not such a nice guy. I thought I was a nice guy. I came here thinking, you know, that I, I was a really nice guy. But, you know, right away when I got in treatment, they started to break me down. They started to show me in the VA hospital over in Tampa that I wasn't such a nice guy. You know, I remember that we, we had a therapeutic community, and in that community, everybody shared in that community. And when everybody went home, we had, uh, you know, a couple of guys that were uh, what we called ward boys. They were the guys that worked in the psych ward, you know, put guys in straitjackets and stuff and in restraints. And they're veterans and they're alcoholics themselves. And, uh, you know, of course, I've been, I've been around AA for 10 years. So, you know, I'm an AA genius. I couldn't stay sober. But I'm an AA genius. I can, tell, I can tell you what you need to do to get sober. But somehow I can't seem to apply that to me. And, but because I'm so smart about AA, and we elect all our own officers, you know, in that community, they elected me the president of the community. And uh, I sit around, you know, and tell everybody everything they needed to do to get sober. So these, these guys we called ward boys were like the babysitters at night, and I'm in the hallway one night going down the hallway, and they're coming my way, and two of them grab me by, one grabs each arm, and they open a door, and they shove me into a room, and they shove me down in a chair, and one of them stood over me and said, you know what, Tom, we don't need any more counselors here, okay? We got enough counselors. You sit around here every night talking to everybody, telling them, you know, everything that they need to do. And this is how you've stayed sick, how you've kept from talking about yourself, by looking at everybody else all the time and thinking that, you know, you're better. I started to open my eyes. I started to open my eyes when a man, you know, came into the community and he sat in the back of the room and everybody used to share in that 8 o'clock in the morning community meeting. And this man sat there just with a notebook. And he never shared. And he was constantly writing in that notebook during the whole meeting. And I started to focus on him. You know, and I, I started to think, why is he in, writing in that book? What's he writing in that book? He's probably writing stuff down about me in that book, you know. And, and, I mean, it's really great in me, you know, and, and I'm, I'm focusing on this man all, all through the whole meeting. And as the days go by, the man's never opened his mouth, and I'm starting to hate him. I'm, hate, I'm full of hate. I'm full of anger, you know, at this guy. Who is this guy? And then they tell us, they say, well, we're going to have a class on assertiveness. And I don't even know what that means because I'm pretty rum-dummed out, you know. 
and uh, four-letter vocabulary is about all I have. You know, F this, F that, F you, and F the world, you know. And so go down to the basement, this room such and such, you know. And we go down there, and here's this man standing there. I said, oh, here's this joker, right? And we go in, and we got little desks, you know, like it's school. And I'm going, what is this uh, hokey stuff, right? And he writes Mr. So-and-so on the chalkboard, and I think, this guy's hokey as hell. What's this? And he writes a one, and he writes some hash marks. He writes a five, writes some more hash marks, and he writes a ten. At the top of one, he puts passive. At the top of five, he puts assertive. And at the top of ten, he puts aggressive. And then he turns around and he said, now all you alcoholics. Oh, I just got my second big resentment at him, right? Because now here's a non-alcoholic, you know. And I, I mean, I'm, I don't need being preached to by a non-alcoholic, you know. Here's this, uh, all you alcoholics, you all fall in this category somewhere. One, he says, you're the most dangerous men in this community. You're really, really, you're the guys I watch, and I can see the jaw muscles in your mouth going, your teeth grinding, and you're just stuffing and stuffing and stuffing everything in you. And then one day, it all blows out the side of your neck, and some poor joker, you know, catches a whole bunch of stuff that should have been, you should have practiced and learned to step up to being assertive and learn how to assert your feelings and assert yourself to other people. You're, you're very dangerous people. And you, on the other end of the scale, you know, tend being the most aggressive, you're crazy. You're just maniacs. You fight with everybody and, with, and, and, and the whole world. You jump down everybody's throat that has a different opinion than yours, you know. You're just in, in constant turmoil in your life all the time, you know, and, 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 and you need to learn to calm down. And he turned and he pointed at me and he said, and you're the most aggressive man in this community, and I doubt if you'll stay sober. And I said, F you, you know. That was my comment to him. That was, that was 40 years ago. I'm still sober, but only because... You know, I, I learned I learned that I had to change. You know. This process of change it, it doesn't it doesn't come easy, you know. It takes work. That's why we're in the in the first uh, uh six steps. I uh I love this I love this author, Bob Anderson. I showed you his book before, wrote a book, A Mind Powered Disease. Got sober when I was born in 1952. His sponsor gave him $500 to leave Cleveland and go to L.A. in 54. And he would talk about how at two years sober, he was the same man sober as he was drunk. You know, and that was the case for me for years. I was always the same man sober as I was drunk. Why? Because I refused to change. Because I did things my way. Because I was, I was not here to become a different person or to build a new character. You know, I, I, I wasn't even ready 
to hear the message because what was going on in my head was just way too loud for me to hear any message. You know, one, another favorite author of mine is Eckhart Tolle, who talks about the next step in human evolution is a spiritual awakening. I guess it, us people in AA, we're maybe a little bit ahead of the curve. Because what, what we don't understand and what most of the people in the world don't understand is people really believe that they think. I think. No, I don't think. I'm thought. We really believe that we think. If, if you believe that you think, try to stop thinking. Try that. Try to make your brain shut off. My brain doesn't shut off. Matter of fact, my brain is awake before my eyes are open in the morning. And it's thinking already. It wakes me up thinking, talking to me. Because I have, you know, like, like Bob Anderson talked about, a mind-powered disease. This disease is powered by my mind. You know, and it's, it's where I live. I live in my mind with my disease. It's not my brain. Sure, we can use our brains, you know, to solve problems, to, you know. But don't confuse that with what goes on in the mind. You see, in the mind is where my alcoholism is centered. And I live there in that mind with my alcoholism. And it talks to me. It talks to me and it tells me all about you and all about me and all about the way everything ought to be. Just like it's talking about in the third step. What am I going to do? What am I going to do about it? Bob says this in his, in his uh, talk on the seventh step, the art of giving. A long time ago, I thought this was like religion, like dogma, like ritual, with buildings and kneeling and praying and all that. But it isn't like that. This isn't about praying. This isn't about living in the world today. This is about living in the world today with a power behind me that is not me. I'll tell you what. This was difficult for me to understand. I couldn't get it through my brain because I'm always in there figuring out life, thinking in terms of me doing this and me doing that. But it isn't about me doing this or me doing that. It's about God doing it. And it's not about turning God on and off. You can say, God, help me here. And then leave God out of the picture once you get what you need. And when you get in trouble again, you say, help me again. But that's not what this program of recovery is about. God can help you all the time if you have a God consciousness. Why do you have to get in trouble before you call on him? I'm not preaching to you. This is a message that I need to hear. I can't live on yesterday's sobriety, yesterday's happiness, yesterday's prayers. The only way I can be somebody today is through the power of God. This is not a self-help program. This is strictly a God-help program for now, this time, right now, right now in the day that I'm in. I always wanted things to be, you know, well, I'm just finished, right? 
I mean, uh, you know, I told my sponsor, you know, I was always in a big hurry. Let's get through these steps. Come on. You know, why did I want to get through the steps so bad? So I could get on to the next thing running my life. Because, see, I didn't want to use the steps to run my life. I want to run my life. But how good, how good did I do at running my life? I didn't do too good. It took me 11 years to get my first year. So I guess my way didn't work too well. I guess I needed a different way of doing things. And I didn't, I didn't want to do things this way. I wanted to do things my way. If you here, here in a couple pages later, he says, if you think you're safe and secure just because you go to a lot of meetings and you have a lot of years, think again. You walk out into the world and call upon your own brains and bang, it happens. You're right back where you started. And so you're asking yourself, don't all those meetings count? No, they don't count. Doesn't my reading count? No, it doesn't count either. The only thing that counts is your relationship with God. And whether you've adopted a method of living based on living with this power, that's what counts. At one time, I used to wonder if I was going to do anything besides talk about God in the steps. But really, that's all there is. That's all that's needed. That's where the good life is. That's where all the happiness, all the well-being, all the everything for my life today is. I appreciate it. I know it. I feel it. The guys I hang around with know it. Their lives keep getting better and better all the time. There's no money that can buy the way of life I have today, and I wouldn't trade it for anything else. Why should I? This happiness isn't found outside of me. Happiness is inside me. My accomplishments and possessions are nice to have, and I love them. But my happiness isn't found in those things. My happiness is right here, right now. Right here, right now. When I get in the 10th step, I'm going to talk a lot about the relationship between the 7th and the 10th. No, my sponsor told me, you need to slow down. Because what you're learning is a way of life, for life, a way to live. Because in here, we don't have any report cards, and you're not graduating. And if I don't become willing to accept that in my life and accept the fact that I'm a human being, you know, (laughs) and I'm a human being who likes to be a big shot. I used to have a a great uh, uh, man who tried to help me in the years in the 70s and never saw me get sober. He used to tell me, I'm your sponsor. His name was Tex. used to hang around the 101 club with him. And, you know, his, one of his favorite sayings was, in AA, we got no big shots and we got no little shots. One shot and we're all shot. And I used to think that I knew what I was doing. And I used to argue with all the old timers in AA. And they used to just pat me on the back and say, that's okay, Tom, you got a right to be wrong. And I used to think, what do, they, what do they mean by that? What's that supposed to mean, I have a right to be wrong? You see, I can't be wrong. 
You have to be wrong. Because deep down inside me, I didn't believe that I had a right to be wrong. I had to be right. That's what my alcoholism was doing to me. It was telling me the power in my mind, which that, that power is the power that I would go to as the authority for my life. I wouldn't go to God. Why would I want to go to God? Because as far as I was concerned, God hadn't done anything for me. All he'd done is punish me. See, I want to blame God for this, too. Because, well, I didn't want to take the responsibility for my own alcoholism. I want to blame something else or somebody else on my alcoholism. I'm always looking to blame. You know, a man who helped me a lot and sponsored me once said to me, you know what, Tom, you don't stand much of a chance of change until you get rid of your victim story. The victim story's got to go. I learned in my fourth step what the problem was. I mean, every step builds on each other. They're in sequence and in order for a reason to bring us to this place that Toll's talking about, a spiritual awakening to a higher level of consciousness, a God consciousness, to understand that this, is all, this all happens through God. You know, that's what, that's what the, the book says. This book is, is about God, how to bring you to God. The man who helped me brought me to God. I didn't, I didn't have my obsession to drink and to use removed until I prayed, which I didn't believe in, and then came to believe because I realized the obsession was gone. Removed 40 years ago, it's never come back. I haven't stopped praying. Why would I stop doing something that worked? To find out that things work when I stop doing things my way. And I start doing things the way that they're suggested. And I learned through the fourth step, you know, that I have major flaws in my character. Those flaws in my character are, are self-condemnation. I condemn myself to myself my whole life. You know, you're, you know, my secret self. You're no good. You'll never measure up. You're not good enough. You're not as good looking as other people. You're not as strong as other people. You're not as smart as other people. Why do you think I had to be right? And then what do I do? I, I create a false self full of false pride to make up for that, that self-condemnation. In other words, I become an egomaniac with an inferiority complex. And I fuel it all through resentment. Resentment. Constant resentment over everything and justifiable anger. That's why I was so aggressive. That's why I was always wanting to run the show. Without, Bob says, without step seven, I would have to stay exactly where I was in step six. In step six, I was entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Without step seven, I would be left empty. Step seven is where I begin to live in the world I'm in. Step seven is where my disease starts getting treated. Steps one to six are not about treating my disease. They're about finding out what's wrong with me and what's needed to treat my disease. 
This is totally different from steps 7 through 12. Steps 1 through 6 are always about me, the disease, and what's needed to treat the disease. Moreover, if I didn't do step 7, I couldn't do the steps that follow. Just like 6 and 7, they're, they're, they're lifetime. There is no report card. There is no graduation. You know, I, I've gotten better over the years because as things have occurred in my life in sobriety and in the steps, you know, and I have, I have suffered from it. I have suffered from my alcoholism. My alcoholism in the program have shown me where I fall short. That's what my shortcomings are. I fall short. Or like my sponsor is very fond of saying, my defects are the things I do that I shouldn't be doing. And my shortcomings are the things that I ought to do that I'm not doing. I just love this. Bob would tell a story about how his sponsor said to him, uh, you know, if there was a toothpick laying on the floor in your house, what would you do? Well, what do you mean by that, he says to him. What do you mean by that? That sounds like me. That's why I identify with Bob so much, because he and I are two of a kind. What do you mean? Well, don't you think that you should pick that up? I mean, it's laying there on the floor in your own house. Don't you think you ought to pick it up? Pick it up. I remember, you know, I love to tell this story, and my wife's sitting right there, so she'll back, she'll, she'll tell you this is the truth. We've been together 35 years. She says, uh, when we first got together, I said, you know what? This laundry needs doing. And she looked at me, and she said, well, he who sees the need takes the responsibility. You know, I'm still doing the laundry 35 years later. Of course, I'm quick, I'm quick to say, okay, I'll take that responsibility, but I'm not washing dishes. I'm not doing this, I'm not doing that, but I'm, I, I, I wash dishes. You know, it's not about doing something because you have to do it. It's about learning how to do things differently than you always did. Because the, what I used to do did not work. You know, I'm sorry for my language, but I'm going to tell you this. I don't just suffer from alcoholism. I suffer from assholeism. That's fine. I think it's funny, too, okay? Because it's the truth about me. You know, that's what I was talking about last week. I'm, I'm three people. I'm the person that I think I am. I'm the person I want you to think I am. And then I'm the person that I really am. And that's all what we talk a lot in the seventh step about humility. That's, 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 that's what we're talking about, the truth. Humility is the truth, the truth about me, you know. I was two years sober, and a friend of mine in the central house gave me a, uh, a, 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 a hat. You could tell it was a ball cap. And he had it all wrapped up in paper. And, and so he says, here, happy anniversary. And I ripped open the, 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 the paper and saw the front of the ball cap, and it said, a legend in my own mind. And he said, I suggest you start wearing that, you know, because that's what I was, a legend in my own mind. 
You know, see, after a couple of years of starting to work the steps, you start thinking, I don't like myself very well. <laughs> you know, I used to, used to think there was nothing wrong with me. I thought I was a great guy. And, and then what this AA did to me is, is it made me see myself. And what I saw, I didn't like. I didn't like the guy that I was. And I started to understand why men had been trying to tell me for a long time, Tom, if you don't change the guy that brought you in here, that's the same guy that's been taking you out all these years. This is about building a new character, becoming somebody other than who I am, because who I am didn't work. I didn't get along with the world. I was at war with the world. I was always ready for Freddy. I stole that from Bob, too. He was always talking about being ready for Freddy. You better get out of my way. Don't you know you're in my way? Don't you know I got things to do? You know, I'm running down the road, and I'm always late. Whose fault is that, that I'm always late? You're laughing about it. I hear you. I see you. Yeah, sure. Get married. You'll find all about, all about your shortcomings, okay? You can get a wife. She'll, she'll remind you and take your inventory all the time. Of course, I'd take hers, too. And we still love each other. You've got to have a sense of humor, you know. If you can't laugh at yourself and see yourself for the way you really are and understand, you know, that there's a whole lot better way. I couldn't, I couldn't remove these things on my own. I had to have God to help me. And he put these things in my path. As the years have gone by, He's put my assholeism right there for me to see, okay, and want to do something about it and get on my knees and say, God, you got to help me, okay? I need, I need to get rid of this, man, because I'm not comfortable with this anymore. I'm not comfortable with doing this. You know, I, I come up on, on this car, and I'm in a big hurry, you know, and, and, and I've got a meeting to go to, and I'm, I'm important, you know. I'm very important. This meeting is very important for me to be to, and I've got I've to get there, you know. And I'm, I'm just like those crazy people out there on 95, driving like it's a Daytona 500, you know, running up on you. Get out of my way. You're going to be in this lane, you know, ready for Freddy. And, uh, and I'm ready for Freddie with these, 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 these people are just, come on, I got to go. And, and I'm honking the horn and I'm running up on them, you know. And finally I get an opportunity to zip around them. And when I zip around them, I look, real mean look, you know, I look at them. And it's some little old man and little old woman and they're just scared to death. Thank you, God. Thank you. Since that day, I don't do that behavior. God will show you the way. All you need to do is make that decision to turn your life and your will over to his care. Let him help you. Stop trying to run the show thinking you know. Because I don't think. I'm thought. And my thinking comes from my alcoholism. My thinking isn't, oh, all these wonderful positive things going on all the time. No, that's not natural, okay? Show me, show me anybody 
that that's natural. Okay? These so-called normal people, they're full of grievance, too. They're full of negative thinking, too. It's not just us alcoholics. The world is full of it. As the world is full of constant materialism being blasted at us all the time. You need this, and you need that, and do this, and do that, and you can't be happy unless you've got a new Lexus. You know, that's, that's, you've got to have it. You've got to have it, man. You've got to keep up with the Joneses, you know. You don't want to look bad. You need to look good, you know. Anyway, uh, I sure am glad that, uh, that this program finally showed me that there's a better way to live. And I don't have to live that way. And I haven't lived that way in a long time. A long time. Because I always tell people, being old and retired helps. I'm not going to lie to you, okay? Being old and retired helps. But I had to stay sober long enough to get there. I had to change enough so that I didn't drink again. And it's not, it's not enough for just to say it's enough. It's never going to be enough. Never. Okay, I was talking in a meeting in my men's group uh, uh, one time several years ago. I'm sober 40 years. And I guess I was probably about 28 years sober or something, 30 years sober, I don't know. And we were talking about this new character, building this new character and changing that character, you know, by getting rid of these shortcomings, by surrender. Because that's what this is really about. It's about surrender. This is a life of constant surrender. I learned that from Father John Doe, who back in the 40s wrote the Golden Books. I opened one of his Golden Books one time, and, and, and he said, the purpose of life is to purify us, not to satisfy us. Wow. What an eye-opener that is. I mean, the purpose of my life is not to satisfy me, but to purify me, to change me. Sometimes I used to feel like, you know, uh, God reached down, you know, and he took us in a bunch of dirt and mud, you know, and formed a formed a man I thought maybe I slipped out of his hand the love that I have for my God is uh, is unbelievable because I know that that he he put an end to the old way of life that I had and the old way of living he brought me into a whole new world and a whole new way of life and gave me the ability to be able to love you. So I never loved anybody. I love things, and I used people. Today I love people, and I use things, and I had great help. My sponsor once told me when I was young in sobriety, he said, he said, you know what? You need to practice tolerance. And I told him, I said, I don't even know what that word means. And he said, well, it's a form of charity. 
and you're not a very charitable MFer, okay? Directly, right in my face. No humor about it. Straight, just like that. And you know what? He was right. I was not charitable. If you weren't just exactly like me, think like me, have the same opinion as I have, dress like me, grew up like me, I had no tolerance of you. I had no tolerance of, of anybody that was any different. You know, I was a low-bottom snob. I could lay in the gutter and look down on you. I used to go to this old 12-step house when it was when Las Olas, 50-some years ago, 50 years ago, was, was the ghetto down there. All old bars and stuff. And the 12-step house was down there. And I used to hang with this guy, Tommy Horrigan, who was about a half a midget, you know. Been a carny his whole life, and he had little stubby fingers. He'd smoke them big cigars, and he liked to go up to the strip. And we'd walk up to the strip, and we had to walk through the rich neighborhoods, you know, and he stops in front of this mansion one night, and he says, Tommy, you see that house? And I said, yeah. And he said, there's people living in that house that are living on Skid Row. And I said, what are you, crazy man? You know, these people got all, they got all the money talking about living on Skid Row. He said, yeah, the Skid Row they're living on is in their mind. It took me a long time to stop being a low-bottom snob. It took me learning to have some tolerance of others. You know, uh, when I got to the eight-step, uh, <laughs> my sponsor, he was a character. He says, uh, I says, so I'm, I'm ready to make this uh, list, you know. And he says, whoa, well, hang on there. He says, I want you to do something else. I said, well, what do you want me to do? He goes, well, I want you to make a list of all the people that owe amends to you. And I said, well, that's not what the step says. He said, who's the sponsor? And I said, you are. And he goes, then you're going to do it my way. I want you to make a list of all the people that owe amends to you. Why would, why would he say that? Why would he ask me to do that? We, we look in the 12 and 12. The answer's right there on page 78. These obstacles, however, are very real. The first and one of the most difficult has to do with forgiveness. The moment we ponder a twisted or broken relationship with another person, our emotions go on the defensive. To escape looking at the wrongs we have done another, we resentfully focus on the wrong he has done us. This is especially true if he has, in fact, behaved badly at all. Triumphantly, we seize upon his misbehavior as the perfect excuse for minimizing or forgetting our own. If we are now about to ask forgiveness for ourselves, why shouldn't we start out by forgiving them, one and all? That's the reason he had me write that. And you know, I thought that in the fourth step, I dealt with all that resentment, right? <laughs> you should have seen the list I had. 
It's not just people. You know, it's organizations like the Catholic Church, okay, the United States Army, you know. It's a list of everything that I'm holding something against because I feel justified. I'm justified in this. You see, you see this, is a, this is a flaw in me. I am a master of rationalization and justification to soothe my conscience and minimize my guilt and give me the ability to do whatever it is I think, I think, ought to be done. You know, and, and there's a lot of my father in me. My father, his father, I, I always tell this story. We talk about this, forgiveness. My father's father was an alcoholic. My father used to see his father sleeping in doorways on skid row. My mother, my grandmother worked, my old Irish grandma, she worked until she was 77 years old, selling women's clothes. She lived in downtown Rock Island, Illinois, would get on the bus and ride across the Mississippi River over to Davenport and sold women's clothes over there because she couldn't count on him, my grandfather, because he had a barber shop and he was periodic and he'd get where he just couldn't take it anymore and he'd lock that barber shop up. And she wouldn't divorce him. She was a good Catholic, but he wasn't coming to the house. He would go down, and his mother, my great-grandfather, was the same way and took off and went to Portland, Oregon. They never heard from old Chris again, except that he owned the longest bar in Portland. I know, and my great-grandmother, they called Tiny Grandma, lived in terrible poverty, they said. He'd go there, and she'd let him sleep in her bed. Talk about codependent. And she'd sleep in a chair. And he'd stay drunk all the time. And they never forgave him. Finally, you know, he, uh, my mother, you know, my father came to Springfield. That's where I was born, where my mother was from. He met my mother there, and she said, I, I, I thought he was a nice man, you know, uh, he stayed sober the last seven years of his life. And he used to uh, go out every morning, come home, eat his dinner, listen to the radio, go to bed six days a week. Sunday, he'd just hang around the house listening to the radio. Nobody ever talked to him because they all hated him, resented him for his years of alcoholism. They never asked him where it was going or anything. All they cared about is he, he wasn't drunk. When my father got old, he used to come and sit with me. And he was like trying to find some way of forgiving his father. He'd say, well, how would you feel? The depression. Your mother's making $13 a week giving me a dollar to go buy the groceries. You see him sneak in the house in the middle of the night drunk and hide his money in the register in the floor so he didn't have to pay for anything. How would you feel? And I'd say, yeah, I, I know how you, you feel. I, I don't blame you. But don't you understand that if you would forgive him, it would free you that it's not about him. 
and they would say to me, he doesn't deserve to be forgiven. And my father went to his grave, 91, still hating him. My mother said, they all hated him. I don't understand. I thought he was a nice man. But even when their family came from Rock Island to Springfield to uh, the wedding, he had to ride on the bus. He wasn't even allowed in the car with them. My sponsor, my sponsor today would tell you, you know, he just celebrated 30 years. His son still hasn't talked to him. His daughter didn't speak to him for 14 years. But now they have a great relationship. She found forgiveness. When he died, my father said he was up at the grave and the town librarian was there. And he said, I didn't know you knew my father. She said, yeah, I knew him real well the past seven years. He read almost every book on the shelf. That's where he was going. Sit in the library all day. Because he didn't have this thing. He didn't have this program. He didn't have what we have. Thank God for Alcoholics Anonymous. Thank God for this way of life. I'm a, I want to close with something. It's, a, it's not conference approved, okay? Uh, it's from the Bible. That's not conference approved, you know. <laughs> All conference approved means is that a, a committee, a general service, approved it for general service to print it and sell it, okay? Well, they don't print and sell Bibles. And in case nobody's ever told you, I'm sure if you ever heard Russell Spatz speak, he'd tell you that this program is built off of Corinthians 1.13 in the Bible, the Sermon on the Mount, and the book of James. For we know only imperfectly and prophesy imperfectly, but once perfection comes, all imperfect things will be done away with. When I was a child... I used to talk like a child and see things as a child does and think like a child. But now that I have become an adult, I have finished with all childish ways. Now we see only reflections in a mirror, mere riddles. But then we shall be seen face to face. Now I can know only imperfectly, but then I shall know just as fully as I am just as fully as I am myself known. As it is, these remain, faith, hope, and love, the three of them, and the greatest of them is love. I love you all. Thanks for letting me share. Let's thank the speaker again. And here's Brandon with our secretary report. Hi. Recovered alcoholic secretary. Hi, Brandon. 
In keeping with the seventh tradition, which states that every group shall be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions, the baskets are now going around. We also have QR codes on the back of the chairs. As the, I've asked Brooke to come up and read the recovered statement. We read this notice to explain why people in AA identify as recovered rather than recovering and what it exactly means to be a recovered alcoholic. Hi, my name is Brooke. I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Brooke. Uh, we are not cured of alcoholism, recovered, but not cured. That presents a conflict to some alcoholics. If we were cured, we would be able to drink responsibly. No, we are not cured. The allergic reaction to alcohol will remain with us for our lifetime. But we have been restored to sanity. That was the problem. The main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than his body. We are now sane where alcohol is concerned. Consequently, we have recovered. Nineteen forty style big book sponsorship from forward to the second edition, Alcoholics Anonymous of Alcoholics who came to AA really tried. Fifty percent got sober at once and remained that way. Twenty-five percent sobered up after some relapses, and among the remainder, those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. What we've seen, felt, came to believe and experience is that God has not changed over time and neither should the sacred approach to his loving arms. The statistics above suggest a seventy-five success rate. If anyone is needing a sponsor, please raise your hand, or you can come up to the piano after the meeting. Um, can the recovered alcoholics raise your hand? If your hand was not raised, we suggest that you hang out with those who were. And then screen announcements. Uh, intergroup is where you can buy AA-related literature, medallions, Intergroup is also responsible for creating our where and when and scheduling the AA hotline. Stop by and visit them. Next slide. Broward County Institutions Committee is responsible for bringing meetings into places where people like us can't go to an AA meeting, such as jails, detoxes, and rehabs. They meet monthly to organize this, the meeting schedules at the 12th Step House. Next slide. And then there's the Florida Men's Advance, the 14th Annual. Next slide. AA's Got Talent is going to be Saturday, February 3rd. Uh, and then we're going to have Paulette starting February 2nd through May. And Tom's here for another two weeks. And of course, here's our home group's Monday night's Big Book Study Workshop, where the Big Book comes alive. Join us for fellowship at 6.30, and the workshop starts at 7.15. We have CDs, mugs, large print big books, the little red book, and big book dictionaries for sale. We meet every Thursday starting promptly at 7.15, and we ask that you be courteous and ready to begin at the sound of the bells. We have tonight's sessions and all the past speakers podcasted at alcoholicsandgod.org. I'd like to invite everyone to our Monday night big book study. And to those who wish to thank tonight's speaker, please line up down the center aisle. Let's all say the Lord's prayer in our seats. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
For thy is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen.
Chase, here's that song you've been asking me for for a million years. I finally pulled it out the pulled it out the corners of my mind, and um, here you go. See the 
song is. God bless. I love you, Mike Chase. Bye. I think you know this one, don't you?
Just wanna say 